We're going to continue, uh, we've started a series on the topic of sanctification, kind of working off of 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Uh, we're going to get at that this morning through the book of Galatians chapter 2 uh, and part of chapter 3, and I'm going to kind of read that in pieces, but if you can go ahead and find that in your Bibles, or you can see they're printed on your bulletin. I heard a story this week of a man named Ian Mara who was making a documentary about climate change. And so he went to the, to the Arctic and he met a man there who told him, he said, you know, I'm, I'm 77 years old. And when I was younger, and he, he kind of looked out the window, he said, when I was younger at the, at the end of the polar night, when the sun comes up for the first time in however long it's been down, he said the sun, and he pointed this way, he said the sun came up over here. He said, now I'm old and the sun comes up over here. And the guy who's making the documentary kept running into people who were basically telling him the same thing. So yeah, the sun used to come up over here and now it, it comes up over here. And their explanation of it was they thought that somehow the earth had tilted on its axis. And the guy just heard this story too many times. He's like, I don't, I don't, they're obviously seeing something. How do you explain this? So he started talking to NASA and various, various scientists, and they're like, uh, you know, for the Earth to tilt on its axis that much, a, a pretty big asteroid would have had to hit the planet, and we probably would have noticed that. Um, and so he kept trying to find somebody to help him understand what is happening. He finally ran, up the, ran into the scientist who would talk to him, and he said, I think I know what's happening. And he said, it's the Novaya Zinlia effect. Of course, right? Uh, it's the Novaya Zinli effect, and I, I'm not going to tell you the story behind that name, but basically what's happening is it's, it's a mirage. And it's a mirage where you see the sun even though it's actually out of view and you shouldn't be able to see the sun. And what's happening is under certain weather conditions where you have a really cold layer and then a warm layer of air comes over that, that layer creates kind of a mirror and you're able to see the sun, the sun's still over the horizon, but you see it like it's actually wherever it's supposed to be, all right? And so you're seeing it, but you're not really seeing it. It gets, the reflection gets bounced around the curvature of the earth. Uh, and so there it is. And it turns out in the Arctic, you see other strange things because of this same effect. You see at times mountains floating over the sea, uh, you will see at times land like over suspended over land. There are hunters who will say you can see the reflection of a polar bear that's not really there that's over here, but you really are seeing it. All right, it's the Novaya Zindli effect. You can you can go look this up. But basically, this man he thinks the earth the earth has tilted because of what he sees and he put his faith in what he sees but what he's seeing is actually a mirage and it's leading him astray he's been bewitched by this strange atmospheric condition Uh, the apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is writing to people who are being bewitched they think they see something but, but what they're seeing is deceiving them Paul had started churches in Galatia and he preached the gospel to them is it believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved? You're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. But now false teachers were coming in and they were deceiving them and they were calling their faith away from Jesus 
and kind of put their faith in something else which was actually a deception. So they were being bewitched. And Paul is very concerned. And so we're going to actually start in the middle here, third paragraph of, of your bulletins in chapter 3, verse 1. And this is Paul kind of throwing cold water in their faces like, wake up. This, you're not seeing what you think you're seeing. You're seeing the wrong thing here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do ask for your help now that we might see clearly, uh, and we might put our faith in Jesus, not only at the beginning of our Christian walk, but through the entirety of our lives in our Christian walk. We ask it in his name. Uh, Amen. Let me, uh, let me start by doing this. I want to read the, the message translation of, of what I just read to you from the ESV, because I think it's helpful here. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough Let me put this to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not a total loss yet, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Now, what's Paul dealing with? False teachers known as Judaizers had come in after Paul had planted this church and proclaimed the gospel. And they said basically, yeah, faith in Jesus is great, and that's a good start. But if you really want to be acceptable to God, you need to add something to the work of Jesus. You need to do the works of the law. Specifically, you need to do the works of the Mosaic ceremonial law. And then you'll be accepted by God. And Paul is saying, don't be, don't be deceived by this teaching that causes you to become overly focused on your own good works. Uh, you're in danger, he says, of being bewitched by your own good works. Now, we don't normally think like that. Uh, We think he was bewitched by porn or she was bewitched by alcohol or they're under the spell of money or they, they, they worry too much about what other people think about them. And the trouble with the Galatians was not so much an obviously bad thing, but they were being bewitched by what we would think of as a good thing. They were in danger of being bewitched by their own Good works. Well, that's that's kind of odd, isn't it? Um, how can good works be a bad thing? How can religious deeds be a bad thing? 
Good works are bad things if they lead you away from Jesus. Good works are bad things if they lead you away from Jesus. They're, they're bad things if instead of us continuing to rest in Christ and put our faith in Him, we are led to begin to put our faith in what we're able to do. They're bad things if they keep us from seeing our true nature and our own sin and we begin to try to trust in ourselves and our abilities instead of in Christ. Uh, imagine if you had a, a disease and one of the symptoms was that you were in pain all the time. Uh, and you went to the doctor and the doctor said, there's really nothing we can do that's going to make you well, but we, we actually can give you some medicine that's going to take the pain away. And so they give you this medicine and it takes the pain away. And you come back a year later and you go to see the doctor and the doctor says, the bad news is you're still sick. The good news is we actually have medicine now that will make you well. So I just need to give you this new medicine. You'll be fine. And you look at the doctor and you say to them, that's okay. I feel all right. I don't, I don't want to start this new treatment because I feel fine now. And he says, but you're still sick. And you say, but, well, no, I, I feel okay now, so I don't want to take that. You've actually been bewitched by this medicine that makes you feel better even when you're not actually better. Our good works can make us feel better, but they can also blind us to our need for Jesus. They can keep us from looking to the one who can actually make us better. I mean, let's say your, your life isn't, you know, it's not going the way you would like it to. You're, you're not proud of some things that are happening in your life. You've got habits that are bad, things you're getting involved in you know aren't the best. Um, you, you, maybe you've got a problem with anger, maybe you've got a problem with gossip, whatever it may be. And you go to a conference or you come to church, maybe it's the first time you've been to church for a while, and you hear somebody talking about you know, reading the Bible and, and praying and, and being involved in, in Christian kind of things, taking notes in a journal, being more disciplined. And, and you go home and you start doing all those things. And you, you feel better about yourself for a little while. It's kind of like you've had a, a booster shot. And the problem is we, we may have in fact just treated the symptoms without getting at the underlying Disease, But those good works that we're doing, reading our Bible and praying and all that, are actually bewitching us. See, if you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, your good works can actually uh, keep you from seeing your need for a Savior. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, I do good things. Why would I need Jesus? As Christians, our good works can help us forget how sinful we actually are. Uh, we, so that we begin to, to lack humility. We begin to lack compassion for people that just don't seem to have their stuff together as well as we do. Or on the other end of that, we can just get so focused on good works uh, that even though we know justification is by faith and we're saved by faith, it just feels like becoming more holy is all up to me. And so I just get unhealthily focused on what I'm doing. And I just begin to despair about my lack of good works. And Paul says... You guys are putting your faith in your good works, and that's crazy. I mean, listen, to kind of summarize what he says here. Why did you receive the Spirit? Why is, why is God at work among you? How were you converted? How did you come to know God? Was it by works of the law? Was it by you doing something? Or was it simply by believing the message that you heard? 
Was it by faith or was it by works? And Paul's answer is faith, emphatically faith. Faith in Jesus Christ crucified. See, the, the message of Scripture is that you and I can't do enough to make ourselves acceptable to God. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough religious activity to make ourselves acceptable to God. The only way we can be made acceptable to God is if Jesus' work, if Jesus' acceptability is credited to us. If His righteousness is credited to us. If we get credit for Jesus' work on the test, that's the only way we can, we can pass. It's the only way we can be acceptable to God. Jesus has done what the law required. Jesus has received the punishment for our disobedience to the law. And the gospel says, quit trusting in your good works. And trust instead in the work of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. And we receive that by faith. Let me, let me read just a few passages of scripture to kind of hammer this to us. This is faith talked about in the Bible. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. Romans 3.23 The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Romans 3.26 It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. John 1.12 But to all who receive Him who believed in His name He gave the right to become children of God. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Salvation is by Faith uh, faith involves knowledge of what Jesus has done. It involves assent to, yes, what he has done can take away my sins. But the key element in faith is trust. I am trusting Jesus. I am resting on Jesus to actually pay the price for my sins and give me his righteousness. Uh, it's the difference between just knowing that that chair is there and believing that that chair will hold me up and actually going and resting my weight in that chair. That's faith in Jesus to, to rest our weight on Him for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, I-85 is the link between Spartanburg and Charlotte and Spartanburg and Atlanta. Faith in Jesus Christ is the link between you and God. Faith is the link between you and God. It's what connects you. It's not a work. It's not a, it's not a duty. It's simply looking at Jesus to receive what He has done. One writer put this way, uh, I get light in my eyes by using my eyes, not by thinking about how I use them. Or another one, faith is like a windshield. I don't look at it, I look through it. Faith is like a windshield. I don't look at it. I look through it to Jesus. Uh, I have a friend who used to be a, a campus minister at a couple places in the southeast. And he had a student who started coming to their meetings who was very skeptical about Christianity. And he was very vocal with the questions that he had. And one day he wanted to go to lunch and he asked my friend Les, he said, 
why is God hiding? And Les said, okay, I'll bite. Why is God hiding? And the student said this. He said, I mean, if God wants people to believe in him so badly, why doesn't he make himself more obvious? Why all the cloak and dagger? Why not just come out of hiding and let everyone know that he is absolutely here? Uh, And Les, who worked with RUF, he would tell the students on his leadership team this story. And he said, well, how would you respond to this guy? And they basically said, uh, well, here's what I'd say to him. I'd say, if, if God made himself obvious, then we wouldn't need faith. So that's why he hasn't made himself obvious, so that we have to demonstrate faith. Now, there's a problem with the students' assumptions about God, because the story of the Bible isn't that God is hiding from us, is that we're hiding from God. That God has clearly made himself known go read Romans 1 and yet we we want nothing to do with him but there's a problem also with the way the other students were responding if God had made himself obvious to us we wouldn't need faith and and this is what Les said there's that word again faith I'm becoming more and more convinced that this is the single most misunderstood word in all of evangelical jargon that's a it's a pretty key word for us to misunderstand. Why? Because that answer is just wrong. Think of the logic. God is actually hiding, to use my friend's wording, but he does so in order that he can draw from me some mental leap, some momentary purge of doubt that magically transforms our relationship into one of perfect kinship and peace. Think of the hopelessness involved in determining if I've actually made that leap, or of the struggle involved in figuring out if I was sufficiently purged of enough doubt to get over the magic line of salvation. We complicate the issue by telling people that faith is asking Jesus into our hearts. So, what, so, what's, so what's faith and what is it, how do we come to Christ? Look back at our passage again. Uh, the top verse, this is Galatians 2.15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And skip down to verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. How do you become a Christian? You repent and put your faith in Jesus. And, and I think like the way we talk about how you become a Christian is actually sort of Confusing. I mean, how many people, you, you probably, I don't make you raise your hands, but how many people growing up ask Jesus into your heart over and over again because you're worried about whether it took or not? And you're like, well, maybe I didn't do that right, and maybe he didn't actually come in, and I need to go and like invite him in again, and maybe he'll really come in this time. And the Bible says simply, put your faith in Jesus. Look at what he has done on the cross. And say to him, Lord Jesus, I'm turning my back on my own good works. I know they won't get me anywhere. And I'm trusting in your work and your work alone. That's faith. That's faith. Uh, let me read a quote. Some of this I'll paraphrase from a pretty old book called God's Way of Peace. 
and it's it's somebody who's struggling to, to to do faith. Like they can't figure out what does it mean for me to do faith if I actually exercise faith. And, and this was his advice: You're puzzling yourself with this cannot shows that you're proceeding in the wrong direction. You're still laboring under the idea that this believing is a work to be done by you and not the simple acknowledgement of a work done by another. You would like to do something in order to get peace and you think that if you could only do this great thing called faith, God would reward you with peace. You're actually trying to make faith a work. Whereas in reality it is neither but a ceasing from work and attempting to pay for salvation. Faith is not a climbing of the mountain but a ceasing to attempt it and allowing Christ to carry you up in his arms. You seem to think that it is your own act of faith that is to save you. Whereas it is the object of your faith without which your own act of faith however well performed is nothing. And what he essentially says to them is quit trying to do faith. And simply look to Christ. Quit trying to do faith and simply look to the risen Christ and trust in Him for your salvation. Then you'll be doing faith. In other words, quit quit looking at the windshield and look through the windshield to Jesus and rest in Him. And, And I think that's so key. Because this is what actually saves us. The the thing that actually saves us, the thing that actually supports us, is not the strength of our faith. It's the object of our faith. Imagine we have a a lake out here that's frozen. Or you think it's frozen. Let's say we have a lake that you think is frozen. But you believe with all your heart that it's frozen. If it's not actually frozen and you step out on it, It's not going to hold you up no matter how strongly you believe that that lake is frozen. But if it is frozen, you can have a little bit of faith. Just enough to step out there. But if you step out there, no matter how hesitant, no matter how weak, that lake actually will hold you up. It's not the strength of our faith, the quality of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith. Which is why Paul says, and this is not printed, but in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. Actually, it's in chapter 3. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul's, he's simply lifting up Jesus to them and saying, this, you, You've heard this. Trust in Jesus and not your works. You have nothing to add to what Jesus has already accomplished. He is he is born your punishment. He has achieved salvation. Look there and rest there. Now, uh, if if you've been with us the last few weeks, you might be saying, I thought this was a series about how we grow as Christians and not how we become a Christian. And it seems like you spent a long time talking about how we become Christians and about what faith is. I want you to notice something in this. We receive the Spirit by faith. We are justified by faith. And we grow as Christians by faith. Uh, Galatians 3.3 Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The New International Version says, "Are are you now being perfected by human effort? 
Uh, many of us, probably most of us in the room, get when we we think of salvation. It's like, okay, I have to believe in Jesus. It's not about me. I have to trust in Him. It's what He has done. But then immediately after that, we think, okay, now it's up to me. Like, I've crossed into the salvation world, and now it's all up to me to work hard to make myself better. And it's, we're, we're, we're kind of practical Mormons at that point, or, or, or just do-it-yourselfers. It's like, Jesus is way over here, and he has everything to do with my justification. But now I'm over here, and he has nothing to do with my sanctification. And it's all about how much effort I put into it. And Paul says, that's foolish, y'all. That's foolish. Uh, Walter Marshall, at a book called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, said it this way, Many devout people kill themselves trying to put to death their sinful nature and produce a holy heart. They diligently work to conquer their sinful lusts and motivate themselves to godly living. But this is like trying to squeeze oil out of a stone. This is the key era Christians fall into in their lives. They think that even though they have been justified by a righteousness produced totally by Christ, they must be sanctified by a holiness produced totally by themselves. All right? and isn't that the way we think? I've been justified by this righteousness that comes from Jesus, but now that I'm Christian, I have to be made holy by this holiness that I produce all in my own effort. Paul says, and listen to these two things, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And on the other hand, are you so foolish that having begun by the Spirit that you think you now can be perfected by human effort? When you become a Christian, you are connected to Jesus Christ by faith. You believe in Jesus. Or the New Testament often puts it this way, you believe into Jesus you come into union with Christ. Uh, the, the New Testament actually doesn't call Christians Christians that often, doesn't call believers Christians that often, but it actually refers to us as those who are in Christ. Like that's Paul's preferred way of talking about Christians, is those who are in Christ. It, you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, you are so connected to Jesus Christ that Paul is able to say that when Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. When Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. So you're no longer under the condemnation of the law. When Jesus is declared to be righteous because he's lived this perfect life, you are so connected to him that you are actually declared to be righteous. You get the benefit of what Christ has done through faith in Jesus. All of the benefits of salvation, justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification, they're not in you, they're in Jesus, but they're yours by virtue of faith. See, not only this is, a, is this a legal union with Christ, it's a, it's a mystical, spiritual union that we have with Christ. We are in Christ, and Paul even says is that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, is actually in us. We are united with Christ. And we grow in holiness because we are connected to someone who is holy. And we have to continue to look to Him in faith for our holiness. Our holiness is worked out in us, but it flows from Him. 
Um, Stranger Things 2. If you haven't finished the first season, don't listen to this illustration. Uh, but if you're watching Stranger Things Season 2, Will Byers is, is the kid who went into the upside down. And now as you're watching Season 2, and this is obviously the, season, the end of Season 1 if you were paying attention, he's been kind of in, been infected by this creature from the upside down from the other realm. And it, he seems to have this connection. It actually seems to be inside of him now and affecting him now. Okay, even it's in a, another dimension and you can't see him. I know this is a weird illustration of Jesus being in us. But, but I, I think it's, it's like in a good way. All right, Jesus you, you can't see, but he's actually in us and connected to us in this mystical way so that we are influenced by him, by Christ. We are united with Christ. We have, we have union with Christ. And we grow in holiness by drawing life from this one who we are united to. How does that happen? It, it happens as we commune with him by faith. It happens as we sit down at the dinner table with Jesus, as it were, and get to know him. It happens in the same way a branch on a tree gets nourishment from the tree itself. It happens the way we get nourishment from, from eating and drinking bread and wine it, it happens as we use the means of grace to practice communion with Christ, prayer and scripture and the Lord's Supper. But, but it's so important to understand that these means of grace are like pipes in a house. And so often we get caught up in looking at the pipes and am I using the pipes right? And that's not the point. The point is that you get water out of the pipes. The, the means of grace are how we commune with Jesus and receive from him, receive water from him. We grow in holiness as we come to Jesus by faith, looking to Him for that holiness. That doesn't mean, though, that we don't I, well, I don't do anything in the Christian walk, right? No, we pursue holiness by looking to faith in Jesus and using these tools that Jesus has given to us to help us to live by faith. I like to call them faith helpers, right? The, the means of grace, the Bible. Uh, prayer, the Lord's Supper, worshiping with God's people, being in fellowship with God's people. We have to make use of them, but we have to use them in the right way. And I I know I'm making a fine distinction, but it's one of the most important fine distinctions I'll make, because I'm usually not into details. Um, But but this is a fine distinction that, that you have to get. Some of us use spiritual disciplines like a checklist. I did it, I've done it for the day, okay, I can go about my business. Some of them use us like this thing that I've got to do to make me better. Scripture uses them, points us to think about them in terms of these things that God has given us to help us abide in Christ and have communion with Jesus and to connect with Jesus. Uh, here's how Walter Marshall, that quote I put it, uh, read earlier, puts it. He says, talking about the means of grace, these are not for you to do to attain holiness. They are what bring you into a deeper fellowship with Christ who makes you holy. And how often do we completely divorce them from Jesus? These are not for you to do just so you'll be holy. They are to bring you into a deeper fellowship with Christ who makes you holy. Reading the Word of God is necessary for the existence of your faith. 
Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Faith receives Christ who is revealed in the Word. The Lord's Supper, he says, is a spiritual feast to nourish your faith. Prayer, he says, is an important way of living by faith. And it's, you know, honestly, it's really one of the greatest evidences of faith in Christ is our prayer. Our lack of prayer just says, I'm still really putting my faith in me. He says, use singing to kindle your faith. Fasting is a great help to holiness by faith. Fellowship and communions are another way of building your faith. So don't neglect the, the means of grace that God has given you to exercise your faith. Go and use them, but don't be bewitched by them. Don't be bewitched by your going to church and your reading your Bible and saying your prayers. Put your faith in Jesus, not in the pipes that are bringing water into the house. Draw your holiness not from your own efforts, but draw your holiness from the, risen, from the crucified and risen Christ. By faith. You still need Jesus here in the middle of the Christian life as much as you did at the beginning of the Christian life. Now, um, some of you I know grew up in very legalistic backgrounds uh, and you kind of lived with this constantly feeling like you were never doing enough and you weren't good enough and Bible reading and prayer were kind of like these spiritual merit, merit badges or check boxes that you had to check off to make sure that God and everybody else was happy. And when you finally, you know, like, kind of the light of the gospel goes on with you, it can be quite liberating and probably a good thing for you to go a month without reading your Bible and realize it hasn't affected your salvation. Like, I'm, I'm still saved. I'm not saved by Bible reading. I'm saved by Jesus. And, like, these people didn't even have Bibles like we do anyway, but that's another story. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm saved by faith in Jesus and not my efforts, and that can be quite liberating for you to, to kind of get it. Luther told somebody one time, he was having a hard time understanding that salvation was not about what they do. He said, go and sin boldly and then come confess it. And, and his point was like, I don't want you to go crazy, but like, you don't get it. Like, you go and sin and you're still saved because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus does. There may be a time for some of you that you needed to boldly neglect the means of grace in order to understand that Jesus saves you and not your Bible reading. Don't cut that out of context the rest of the sermon. <laughs> like, put that on the website or something. But that's true. There might be a time where you just need to neglect that because you, you need to understand that your salvation is about Jesus and not about what you do. But you can't keep doing that. You can't keep doing that. At some point, you have to say, okay, I get it. These don't save me. Jesus saves me. But these are the way I have communion with Jesus. These are the way I have communion with Jesus. And I still need Him. So I can't neglect the means that He's given me to look to Him in faith. The means of grace are the place that you sit down and have a meal with Jesus. Go and have lots of meals with Jesus. But don't stare at your food. Stare at Him. Stare at Him and be changed by Him. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to understand these distinctions clearly. We do thank you for the means of grace 
that you've given us. Uh, We pray that we would use them rightly and that we would not be bewitched by our doing of them as if they somehow made us more acceptable to you. Uh, Help us to, to put our full weight on Christ and trust in him. And, and having learned that our salvation is from him alone, uh, help us then to go back to the means of grace, not as salvific, but simply as these places where we get to sit and eat and commune with our Savior who changes us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.